right, well, hey, good morning. My name is David Marvin. I work at The Porch on Tuesday nights, and I'm so excited to be continuing this series. And uh, we are in a series called Never Be the Same. This is part two, if it's your first week uh, in the last couple weeks joining us, where we are looking at, there we go, we're looking at encounters with Jesus that we uh, are studying in the New Testament where people interacted with him, and they were never the same. And we are going to look at one of the most famous stories and interactions that Jesus ever had, and a woman who would never be the same. And just in praying this morning, I think there are some people in the room who are going to see the interaction that Jesus had and never be the same. And it may even be some people that have been around and you've heard the story and you've been in church for a while, but what Jesus lays out, you're going to leave never the same. And I'm going to read the text, and it's in John chapter 4, a famous story known as the woman at the well. If you do not have a quiet time this morning, you are about to get it in right now because we're going to go through 30 verses and then we're going to dive in. And so I'm going to start in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screens. This is John chapter 4. In verse 3, we're told, Jesus left Judea, Jerusalem area, to go up to Galilee. And then in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on his way. Let me hit pause. Samaria, in case you're not familiar, won't camp here too long, but Samaria was basically an area uh, inside of that uh, country where Jewish people wouldn't go because Samaritans lived there. What were Samaritans? They were half Jewish, half pagan. They were half-breeds. They were seen as less than, and they were occupying part of Israel, which is supposed to be for the Jewish people. Basically, tons of tension between Jews and Samaritans. They didn't interact with each other, and Jews would look down on them. And Jesus says, we're not walking around it. We're going right through it. In other words, here's a map that shows you Samaria. The typical Jewish person would go all the way around, even if it took days out of their trip or added days on, to avoid going through Samaria. But Jesus doesn't operate like the typical Jewish person or any person. He says, we're going through Samaria because there's a person I've got to meet. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. It's a well that was famous at that time. It's still there today. You can go see it. Jesus was tired from the long walk, and he sat down beside the well. It was about noontime. That's going to be important. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. This woman had to be surprised because Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, and for him to ask her, can I use and can we drink out of the same cup, would have been unthinkable. He was alone at the time because the disciples he had sent into the village nearby to go buy some food, some pita bread, pita hut, or fish, fish filet, or whatever they had at the time. Just doing Bible dad jokes up here. The woman, surprised for Jews, refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You know, I said noon. We're going to find out. This woman came to the well at noon. That was uncommon. That was unheard of. You didn't go at noon. It's the blazing heat of the day. It's the Middle East. It's 104 degrees outside. You went in the early morning. You went in the evening. Unless you wanted to avoid people. And she walks up, and there's her worst fear, not just a man, a Jewish man, and now he's asking her for a drink. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, to us, we're reading the story, and it sounds beautiful, and it's poetic, and it's like, man, that's incredible, and we follow the analogy. But when you are a Samaritan woman, who we're going to discover is a five-time divorcee, just wants to avoid being around people. It's 104 degrees outside. You walk up and a total stranger is asking you for a drink and then responds with, 
you should have asked me, and I would have given you water that's alive. It's not mysterious and beautiful and poetic. It's just a little bit weird. And so she says, but sir, you, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is very deep. Where can you get this water that's alive? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? He can offer better water than, or how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals all enjoy? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's saying, I offer a lasting satisfaction, unlike anything you've ever experienced or anything this world has to offer. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. That way I'll never be thirsty and I won't have to come here and get water. And here's where things get interesting. Jesus says, go and get your husband. And the woman said, well, what happened was, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth. The woman, I, I love her response. I mean, what would you say when a total stranger looks you in the eyes and identifies something that it'd be impossible that they knew that? Sir, you must be a prophet. I love it. So tell me this, prophet. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem's the only place to worship? We Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, which is where they were, where our ancestors worship. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem or about any location. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here, now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, not in a location, not in a church building, not in a mountain. In spirit, inside, and in the truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit, and internally, continually, and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. So she's hearing this, and she's like, I don't know if you're right, I don't know. But I know one day the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain to us everything. And Jesus told her, the very first time Jesus introduces himself as the Messiah, the very first person, I am the Messiah. Just then, the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve, a bunch of scaredy cats, to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her jar by the well, and she ran back to the village, telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this possibly be the Messiah? So the people began streaming out of the village to come see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. They came back with food. Rabbi, eat something. Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. I love the disciples. They said, did, did somebody bring him food while we were gone? <laughs> disciples asked each other, like, was it that creepy woman, Samaritan? That's got food poisoning written all over it. This is a worst case scenario. And Jesus has got to be thinking, like, these guys never follow my parables, my analogies. They don't get it. 
My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. We're in this series, like I said, never be the same, and this woman would clearly never be the same. Uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of an illustration to give us some tracks for where we're going. And um, is anyone in this room like, hey, I'm a big believer chiropractor. Like, I'm all about it. It feels like a turn, no clutch, but it's going somewhere. Okay, all right, there's several of you, or five of you. I would have said I am not a chiropractor person. Um, in fact, I uh, would have put it on the spectrum. It just, like, it's not that I'm against medicine. I don't know if I would have classified it as medicine. I would just don't quite have a category for, you know, it's a certificate, the degree, they're messing with your spine. Of all the things that people can mess with, it doesn't feel like you want to get that one wrong. And so I just, it wasn't something that was for me. And tell I had some real bad back pain like a year ago, and I was telling some friends, and they were like, oh, man, you got to go see a chiropractor. And I was like, man, chiropractor, don't really do a chiropractor. I believe in doctors. And uh, <laughs> totally kidding. Well, that's true. Let's not get distracted. Okay, so I went to the doctor, and, you know, he was like, oh, you know, here's, a, here's some medicine for it. And, and I started, I like did some yoga. There's nothing I could do. And I wish I had a good story of even how I heard it. I was like picking up kids or something that I heard it, and nothing would work. And so finally, my friend wore me down. He's like, you got to go see a chiropractor. It's all about the alignment. And, and I went and see the chiropractor. And in one interaction, I left and I was a changed man. My back pain went away. I was like, I, this is unbelievable. I went from skeptic to believer. I mean, believer to the point where at the end, he was like, yeah, your alignment's off and it's going to continue to get off just because that happens in life. So you really need to get a membership. And at this point, I'm like, oh my. I'm, like I'm healed. I'll do whatever you say, whatever membership. <laughs> And uh, so I bought a membership. I was like, man, I'm all in. I went from, what do they even do there? Is this voodoo to, uh, I'm all in. I'm a member of a chiropractor thing. And it was a moment where I just had this solution for a problem that I had. And, and it seemed like everything changed. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, today I want to talk about the solution for a problem that every person who's ever lived is born with. And that is the search for satisfaction. You came into the room and I came into the room and all of us have lived lives and at different seasons of life are looking for something to like satisfy. Like we just feel discontent. We just don't like the circumstances that we're in. We just have this gnawing thing inside of us that is looking for satisfaction. And the Bible discusses, and sometimes people talk about satisfaction and, you know, to live a life where like, yeah, I'm okay. No matter how much I make or how much, what happens, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm, I'm content. I'm satisfied. A lot of times people think that, you know, satisfaction is not a one-size-fits-all. It's different for you. It's different for him. For this person, it, it looks a certain way, and for you, it may be different. That's not true at all. The Bible says that there's a very clear path towards satisfaction. It's a two-sided coin, really. It involves two things that we're going to look at in this story as we walk through. But first, I want to walk through and identify something else in the story, which is why we're not satisfied, or to use the word that Jesus uses, why we're thirsty. And so I'm going to walk back through some of the text. If you take notes, the first idea that I just want to talk about is why we're not satisfied. And let me recap what just happened. So Jesus comes up. I got to go through Samaria. Guys go through Samaria. He's like, guys, go into town. Get us something to eat. Sitting there at the well. He knew this woman was coming. Sits down. Woman walks up. Hey, can you give me something to drink? She's like, what? You want to drink? And he responds with, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. You would have asked me and I would have given you living water. And then he points out why we're not satisfied or the first answer to the question. Anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never 
thirst again or be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The answer to why we're not satisfied, why was this woman not satisfied, is because she was looking in all the wrong places. For her, she had been drinking at the well of men. She had gone through one broken relationship after the next, after the next. Five divorces in our day is a very uncommon thing. In the first century, it was unheard of. Maybe because of her own decisions or her own unfaithfulness, for whatever reason, she jumped from one to the next, got into the next relationship, ended in divorce. Got in the next relationship, thought, man, I'm not even sure if I should be in this one, but I don't want to be single and alone. She got in the next. And she had gone from one relationship to the point where now in the story, Jesus says she's living with a man that's not her husband. She's given up on marriage altogether. That she had been drinking at the well of men and was thirsty. The reason why any of us find ourselves not satisfied is because we're going to the wrong source. Or we're going to any other source than the only one who can satisfy, which is Jesus. I'll cover that in a second. One of my favorite things with working with young adults is um, I would call it the ever-growing and ever-evolving glossary of terms. What do I mean by that? If you have a young adult in your life or you know somebody, you're going to hear different phrases that just like, it feels like every day there's a new one. Example, no cap. What's no cap mean? It means no lie. Why? Nobody knows. <laughs> bet. What's bet mean? You may hear, like, if, 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 I don't even have time to go into all of these different examples, but uh, throw shade. What's throw, that's one of my favorites is throw shade, honestly, because it's like insult somebody. But there's all these different terms, uh, bet, savage. If you don't know, after the service, just find somebody in a hoodie and they'll explain it to you. <clears throat> I don't have time to go into the fashion problems with young adults right now, but perhaps the most biblical of them all is this term, thirsty. She's thirsty. He's thirsty. Now, if you're laughing, um, it's because you know what it means. (laughs) Uh, I remember the first time I heard this term, I was talking to my brother-in-law and and we were talking about some girl and I was like, man, you should take her on a date. And he was like, bro, she's thirsty, man. And I was like, like, like she needs like a, a drink? Like a Gatorade? This shouldn't be a problem. Just give her some water. And uh, it's like, no, man, thirsty. It means like she, she's desperate. She wants a relationship. She's like overly, she's so desperate in need. She's thirsty. If there was any person in the New Testament who was clearly thirsty, it was this woman. Going from one relationship to the next to the next. But there's a part of all of our hearts and all of our lives where there is a, a thirsty aspect an unsatisfied aspect. It's the thing that leads us to constantly, I need approval of other people or else I can't be at peace with myself. Like I'm so worried about conversation I just had in meet and greet because I hope they didn't misunderstand me and why did I say that? And I'm consumed by it because I'm thirsty. I'm not okay if I don't have approval of people. If pornography is directly related to trying to quench a thirst. You know the number one reason people turn to pornography? A desire to feel desired. I want to be wanted. And that leads them out of that thirst to turn. People work 70-hour weeks under the banner of, hey, I'm just trying to provide for my kids who I don't ever get to see because they can't shake not having financial security. It's thirsty. I, I think one of the more common ways for a lot of us is almost a unsettledness with today and just a hopefulness of a future season in life. There's just part of every person, at least most people that I know, that they're constantly like, ah, today's okay, and I can't wait until the next stage of life. 
Maybe you're single and you're like, I just can't wait until finally I'm married and the hills are alive with the sound of music and it's all right in the world. Or when you get married, then you're like, man, I just can't wait trying to have kids. Can't wait till we have kids. Then you have kids and you're like, ah, oh, can't wait till they're out of diapers. They can dress themselves. Then they're out of diapers, dress themselves. You're like, can't wait till they're in school. Mama gets some me time. Then you get some me time and you're like, ah, oh, I can't wait until they're empty nesters. And then I can't wait till we're tired. There's just always just this, ah, oh, I can't wait until finally one day. I, I find this candidly, personally, in my own mind, where I have this like future version or future day out there. I don't even quite know what it is, but when that day comes, everything in the world is right. It's like in this future version, my kids are all, they're so perfectly behaved. They're like, yes, sir, hello, how are you? And they don't need discipline. There's no more spankings. They don't talk back to mom and dad. Life is amazing. My wife and I, we get eight hours of sleep. We're in the best shape of our life. Work stress, what stress? It's not too much. It's not too boring. Life is amazing. Our home, it's not the home we live in. It's our future home. And the future home, there's no problems with the future home. HVACs don't break down. The lawn, it grows so slowly and you enjoy any time you spend out on it. That's the future. It just, it, I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And the truth is, even if all of that came, Jesus would say, you'd still be thirsty. Whatever season out there, they can't quench that. You still wouldn't be satisfied. There's no amount you could have in your bank account that that's enough. There's no picture-perfect family that, oh man, it's, it's enough. If that's all that there is. Because there's no amount of things in this world, Jesus would say, that can satisfy or quench your thirst. You're just always going to need more. You'll always be thirsty. It's, it's like this. This is salt water. Salt water makes up 70% of our planet. Only 1% of water out there is fresh water. Salt water, the thing about it is if I was to ask you, how much salt water would you have to have or have to drink in order to quench your thirst? If you're thirsty in the room, how much would you have to have? If you know anything about salt water... There isn't an amount. It can't quench your thirst. In fact, it only makes you even more thirsty. There's no amount that you could have that would ever quench your thirst. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there's no amount of success. There's no relationship. There's no future season in life. Those things will never satisfy. You'll be thirsty. And the reason why we're unsatisfied, the reason why this woman was unsatisfied, is we're drinking at the wrong wells, looking to the wrong things. So the woman responds... After being called out, I've been drinking at the well of men and looking in all these other places to satisfy. Like I said, sir, you must be a prophet. Prophet, and she goes into a theological question of like, all right, let's talk theology. You're a prophet, clearly know stuff about God. You guys say worship in Jerusalem. We say worship here. And Jesus gives a really interesting answer. He says, a time is coming. It's right now, in fact. Verse 23. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, that's internally, and in truth. The Father's looking for those who worship him that way. For the Father's spirit, those who worship him must worship internally, ongoingly, continually, and in truth. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, uh, uh, you think about what God wants and what it looks like to worship God, and you think going to a place, you think a mountain, you think Jerusalem, you think doing some actions. That's not worship. What God is looking for, it's what the text says, is people who worship him internally through their actions continually, ongoingly, not just in a church building on Sunday, but every day in between. It's a life. It's a lifestyle. It's a relationship. 
He gives us the first answer and the key to satisfaction. Remember how I said it was a two-part coin? It's very simple. It's not easy. But it's very simple. And apart from understanding this and doing this, you and I will not be satisfied. Satisfaction comes from knowing God. That's what Jesus said. He just said that what God is looking for is not religious action. It's a relationship with people that you and I would live in a relationship with God. Satisfaction, point two, comes from knowing God. That's the first side of the coin. Or having a relationship with God. What is a relationship with God? What does a relationship with anyone require? Communication? Time? Priority? This would be a few things. Like if I was to explain, hey, I have a relationship with my wife. And you were like, yeah, but do you guys talk? And I was like, no. I haven't talked to her in like years. Um, do you spend time together? No. I haven't even seen her, honestly. I'm not even sure where she is. Or if I described that with my kids, I'm like, yeah, I think I've got two. I, honestly, I don't know. You'd be like, you don't have a relationship with them. And they're clearly not a priority if it requires communication, time, priority. A key aspect of having a life that has some satisfaction and that has satisfaction will require an ongoing relationship with God. What does a relationship require? Communication. That's spending time with God in prayer. Not just 20 minutes in the morning, but continually throughout the day, pouring your heart out, your anxieties, your fears, what you're feeling. How quick are we to turn to friends or coworkers or just people around us to describe our anxiety or describe just our frustration and not turn to God? And the God who's there, the Bible describes as the Father who's invited us to continually go to him in communication, constantly telling what you're feeling, what you're fearing, what you're facing. Another aspect of communication would be listening. How do we do that? We do it by studying God's word. It's probably never been easier to study God's word than today. If you don't like to read, Audible. They got audible.com. It'll read it to you. They got apps that are designed, whether you can join us and jointhejourney.com where we go through scriptures as a body together and every day you'll get a devotional that's sent to you. Go to jointhejourney.com and you can sign up with thousands of others just like you. You can go to the Bible Recap. Bible Recap is another excellent resource where every day they'll walk through and journeying through God's word. There's all kinds of different apps that'll send you notifications to study God's word. But a key component, if you want to be satisfied and you're like, man, I'm just not really in on that, then you're not really in on being satisfied. Because you were created to be connected to your creator. And apart from that, you're not going to be satisfied. This is, this is a glove. <clears throat> I know. I went to seminary. I can explain these things. This glove is O.J. Simpson's glove. And uh, no, <laughs> too soon, probably not right. Okay. This glove, if I was to ask you, what is the purpose of this glove? You know, there's a lot of things I could do with it. Like I could, I, could, I, I could wear like a necklace. I could do a little hat thing. I could try to put it on my feet for a sock. I could, um, you know, I could use it as a paperweight. There's a lot of things that I could do with it. None of those things are what it was created for. Well, how do I know? Because the way I know what it was created for is whose image it's made in. It's made in the image of hand. So apart from a hand and being connected to a hand, it cannot fulfill an experience and live out its purpose. Whose image are you made in? God. So apart from being connected in a relationship with God, you cannot fulfill experience, your purpose, or said otherwise, be satisfied. You were created for it. A continual, ongoing, not one-time thing, relationship with God who loves you, knows you, 
And he's invited you into that. Communicating, spending time with, prioritizing. And when you do, you discover it's like it satisfies something at a soul level. It quenches a spiritual thirst that every person who's ever taken a breath came into this world having because they were created for it. They were made in the image of God, like a glove is made in the image of a hand. And apart from a relationship or connection with God, they'll never experience that. So Jesus lays out to this woman that God, who's here, he's pursuing and wants you to experience satisfaction. And some of that comes with you knowing God and the woman who is the most relationally dysfunctional person in the Bible, certainly at least in the New Testament. You think of anybody else that's gone through five different marriages, now she's on her sixth man? Maybe the man didn't want to have a marriage with her and it was just done. She was an outcast among outcasts. And Jesus says, you know what God is all about? All these different people you've had broken, messed up relationships with, you're the most relationally dysfunctional person that there is. God wants a relationship with you, which is why he was there. That's why he had to go through Samaria. And he reveals himself, I am the Messiah. I am God. We're not told all of the extent of the conversation that took place, but something happened where that woman was changed. She runs off to the town, begins to say, come see a man. All the different people, she'd gone to the well at noon to avoid. That's why he went at noon. Carrying all the shame, leaves it behind, including her water bottle, and runs back to town to say, come see a man. He told me everything that I ever did. Could it be the Messiah? Come see him. Come see him. And she takes off running to go tell the town. Just before that is the disciples walk up. They see Jesus talking with this woman and they're going, what are, you, what are you doing or what's happening? And they're confused and they're wondering what's going on and they urge him, hey, eat something. And I'm gonna read it again where they said, Jesus replied after they said, eat something, I have a food you don't know anything about. And he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, Jesus just used water as an analogy and how he offers a type of water that can quench your thirst. And now he just used food as an analogy, as a type of thing that he offers that can be done that can quench your hunger or your spiritual hunger. And he gives us the answer. He says, just like bread can fill your stomach, satisfy physical hunger, doing the will of God, serving God, Telling Samaritan women or people in general about God satisfies me at a spiritual hunger level. He uses another analogy to say, there is a satisfaction that I get. In other words, he's not making up that he wasn't hungry. He's not like, oh yeah, I'm fasting, I'm spiritual. He's saying, in the same way that that bread satisfies your stomach, doing God's will satisfies me on an internal level. The second side of the coin of satisfaction, the first side is knowing God. The second side is making him known. It's what you and I were created for, serving God, serving God's kingdom. Apart from living that out, you and I will not experience satisfaction. And you can leave here and not like that or get excited about that. It's the truth. Let me be honest really quick. So the second or third point is satisfaction comes from making God known. So Jesus said, my, my food, I get satisfied by doing God's will. I mean, sharing my faith, serving God's kingdom, using my time, money, energy, resources, living a life that's not devoted to myself, but to serving God. Let me be honest. I don't like sharing my faith. 
a safe place? We just keep this between us? I don't like being on a plane or going out there. Like I just get nervous. I can, I can find myself overthinking it. I'm constantly with a stranger, family member. I'm like just wondering like, man, how do I get in this conversation? Part of it's because I don't want to be like the Jesus Duke guy who's like, oh man, it's, it's, so, it's so hot in here. You know what else is hot? Hell. Has anyone told you about Jesus? And uh, I just, I don't want to be that guy. And I'm, I'm trying to think of how to, how to get in this conversation. And um, you know what happens though? Every time that I share my faith, it's like something on the inside of me lights up as though I'm like, this was the thing I was made to do. And I don't mean sharing from the stage like, hey, a sermon. And trust. I mean like on an individual, you don't know anything about me, total stranger. I'm just going to share or a family member or somebody I do know. Or I'm just going to share, this is why I have hope. This is why I have a relationship with God or share about my relationship with God. Every time that I do that and I tell them about, you know how much God loves you and he sent a son to die for you on the cross to pay for everything broken that you've ever done, everything messed up that I've ever done. It's like something on the inside comes alive as though I feel like this is what I was made for. And the truth is, that's because it is part of what I was made for. And so are you. And apart from you serving God's will, Jesus would say, you're not going to experience the satisfaction or the nourishment, the filling of that hunger that you have because you were made for it. This week, because I know even talking about sharing your faith, it can make everybody like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous right now. You can't be talking to me. If that's you and you're like, ah, never going to do that, not going to do it, I want to challenge you specifically to something. I want you in the conversations that you have with somebody you're pretty sure doesn't have a relationship with God or you're at least unsure. And you're writing me off right now saying, nope, never going to do that. Not really my thing. I want to challenge you in the conversation that you're not going to share about. You've already written it off. I want you in that conversation to just do one thing. I want you to think if I was going to share my faith, this is probably how I would do it right now. I'm not even telling you to step over the line and do it. I'm just saying, you're in that moment and they're sharing like, oh, my mom died and I'm having a really hard time. And you, you begin to go, huh, if I was going to share my faith, I probably would go, you know, I turn when it's a really hard time, I turn to my relationship with God because Christ and what he's done in my life and, and when I can't have faith in him. I'm not even telling you to do it. I'm just saying, step up to the line of the purpose for which you were created and at least see what's on the other side. And if you decide, I'm going to take that step, what you're going to experience is being satisfied. Others of you, you've been hanging around and floating for a while and you're not serving anywhere. You've been using COVID as an excuse to hang on as long as you can of Man, I'm not going to serve. And this week, your chance to experience or step in the direction of being satisfied is you need to make a decision. I'm going to serve somewhere. I'm going to use the gifts, the talents, the way that God made me, and I'm going to go serve somewhere. Maybe you go and you join Mickey, and you go to watermark.org forward slash serve kids, and you're going to go get plugged in. And you're thinking, I don't even like kids. Great. You probably won't even get in because we got a pretty high bar of the people we let around our kids. But you'll at least be able to check the box say, ah, yeah, that's right. Maybe you're a single adult. Let me, just, let me just give you some change. If you're a single young adult, you should be serving in kids. One, because you'll have a great chance to see other single young adults be like, oh, you like kids too. Oh, huh, you want to have some of these? And you'll get a chance. <laughs> just saying. <clears throat> Maybe you're going to serve in South Dallas and all the initiatives that are going on where we are trying to see an entire city or see as much as we can transformed and poverty alleviated. I don't know what ways God has made you and burdens he's placed on you, but I know if you are not serving him, if you're not knowing God and also seeking to make him known, 
you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be thirsty. It's like this. If I said, everybody, everybody breathe in. Like, take an inhale. Ready? On three. Ready? Breathe in. Breathe in. Breathe in. Breathe in. Breathe in. Breathe in. You know what happens if you don't breathe out? You die. <laughs> you know what happens if all you ever do in your Christian life is like, I take in, I take in, I come to church, I'm here, and I'm taking in, I take, I take some class, I read some stuff, I get, you know, I'm going to go to brunch after this and be like, ah, oh, what'd you think? It was a good sermon? Oh, it was okay, you know. If all you ever do is take in, take in, take in, take in, and you never breathe out, your spiritual life dies. You weren't created for it. And when you decide and when you move in the direction, oh man, I'm going to know God, I'm going to make him known, you experience what Jesus would say, a nourishment at a soul level, a quenching, a satisfaction of hunger, a spiritual hunger that comes from whose image you were made in. In conclusion, satisfaction comes through knowing God and making him known, and we're thirsty anytime we look outside of him to satisfy his spiritual thirst. I think a lot of Christians, you hear stuff like this, and you're like, yeah, that's pretty simple. I've heard that before. No, God, make him known. Still not working for me. Been doing that. You know what's funny about that chiropractor? I went, and I had that life-changing experience. It'd never be the same. Got a membership. Never went back. <laughs> back pain came up, and just life and distractions, things get busy, it's hard. Who's got time for the chiropractor? And if you were to come up to me and ask me, like, oh man, you know, we're all about the chiropractor and you got a membership, how's that going? Are you feeling a lot better? And I was like, oh yeah, no, it's not going good at all. I still got back pain. And you asked, well, how often are you going? And like, oh, I haven't been back. Chiropractors just don't work. You'd go, it's not that the chiropractor doesn't work. You haven't been taking advantage of what you have access to in your membership. So often this is a Christian journey and Christian experience for people. They trust in Christ. They sign up. They go all in. I'm a member. I'm giving my life to you. And then life happens. Distractions happen. Busyness happens. People come up to them and you're like, oh, man, I still just don't feel satisfied. I hear stuff like that. No, God, make him know. I, I'm a Christian still don't feel really satisfied. And someone is like, well, what is your daily, ongoing, continual relationship like? Are you spending consistent time? Like, are you serving and using your gifts to make God known? Are you doing those things? And you're like, I mean, I'm trying. I don't know that it really works. Maybe the problem is not that you have a faith that doesn't work. It's that you have not taken advantage of all you have access to as a Christian. And just like a foolish person would say, man, the chiropractors don't work, even though I'm not really going and taking advantage of the membership. The person who says, yeah, I know there's a path towards satisfaction, but I'm just not going to do those things. I'd rather just be unsatisfied. Well, that's fine. Just don't claim it doesn't work. As I, I close, I want to speak to someone very specifically in the room. Someone who's walked in today and you're like the woman, in some ways all of us are, and you're carrying a shame. The woman who carried that shame that went at the well at noon, and she was just covered in a shame, and people don't want me, I'm not even sure God wants me. 
What she discovered was the complete opposite. In verse 4, it says something really interesting at the beginning that I read. It says, now, he had to go through Samaria. Why don't you just think about that sentence, about the land of flame. He had to go to Samaria. That's a really interesting way to put it. He's God. He doesn't have to do anything. It's as though Jesus was compelled. There's a woman, there's someone that I'm going to go pursue. Someone that I've got to go meet. I'm going to go out of my way to pursue this person. What you need to know is the same God has gone out of his way to pursue you. You've never put your faith in Christ. You've never had a moment where you actually received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As the payment, this is what it means to be a Christian. He paid for your sin on the cross. And you say, I'm not going to try to earn my way by worshiping on a mountain or worshiping in a church service or doing a bunch of good things or not doing a bunch of bad things. I'm going to receive by faith, Jesus, I believe you paid for me on that cross. I receive you as my Lord, my Savior. You were enough. You paid for everything bad I've ever done. Everything bad I haven't even, I'm not even aware that I will do in the future. I believe that. I receive that. I accept you as the payment. And when you rose from the grave, you showed the check clear. The payment was more than enough. The card went through. Your payment was enough. And he's gone out of his way for you. Not through Samaria, but going to a cross on your behalf, on my behalf. And here's what I want you to know. That shame that you carry. If you were to encounter God, you would experience what this woman experienced. Think about her testimony. You remember it? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come on, come see a man. He knows everything about me. He knows everything. Come, come, come. She goes back to the people she tried to avoid. Come see this man. He knows everything about me. And he wasn't repelled by me. He pursued me. He wanted a relationship with me. Come see this man who knew everything and didn't reject me. What did Jesus know about this woman? Well, the Bible says that he knew she had five husbands. She was sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband. The Bible also said God knows everything. Fair? Which means he knew everything. He knew the husband's names. He knew the fact that she got into that second marriage and, you know, she wasn't really sure that he was the right one, but she just didn't want to be alone, so she decided. And then she got into the third marriage and she was pretty sure, I don't even love this person. He knew everything about, he knew all the reasons why she did what she did. Here's what you need to know. Despite that, he pursued her, he loved her, accepted her. As it relates to you, God knows everything about you. He knows every pornography addiction in the room, and he doesn't just know that, he knows why. He knows about the first moment when you were 12 where somebody showed you something, you could still see the image. And it's trailed with you, and that you turn to it, and you kind of feel justified because you feel sexually neglected in you. He knows all of it. He knows why. He knows of the same sex attraction that you struggle with, that you hate, and you find yourself eternally tormented. And sometimes you just want to give into it, and you don't even feel like it's... He knows everything. He knows the control that you have over your kids. And how you really can't stop. It puts a wedge between you and your husband. But you find yourself unable to let go because you saw what happened when your sister or your brother didn't have parental supervision in their life. So you're going, I'm not going to let that happen to my kids. He knows about the workaholism that takes place in this room where you're going, hey, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not going back. I was raised in, in the streets. I was raised in poverty. I'm not doing that. I'm going to be my own person. I'm getting out of it. And it's caused you to not use your life in a way that God would want. It's caused you to be worshiping at the idol of financial success. He knows everything. And he doesn't just know that. He knows why. None of which excuses it. It's just a part of the messy complexity that is being human. 
and the story woven that you have, that all of us have. And what you need to hear is he doesn't reject you. He pursues you and he loves you. And he knows all of it. He knows the reasons why you do things that you don't even know. And it doesn't repel him. It makes him move towards you. And if you decide, I'm gonna receive the free gift of living water that he offers, when he gave his life on the cross, you will step towards being satisfied and you will never be the same. And today is your day. And he has you here for that reason. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every person who has never drank from the fountain of living water. Today would be their moment and they would stop attempting to earn a relationship with you. That they would trust in what you did on that cross for them. They would run to the Father, trusting in what Christ did. I pray for every person in our body, God. All of us have distractions, have things that fight for our attention. We have anxieties, we have fears, we have things that weigh us down and interrupt our pursuit of you, of knowing you and making you known. Said otherwise, they interrupt our ability to be satisfied. Would you help us? Would we believe that though it's not easy, being satisfied is simple. And it comes through relationship with you knowing you and making you known. Help us. We worship you in song. Amen.